0: It'll be the first act intermission. then. Look at her out there. Old, washed up, telling stories that were barely true when they happened. The one-woman show has never looked so much like grease paint. They're not applauding for you, old woman. They're applauding because they can finally stand up, stretch their legs, take that pee they've been holding, Flirt with that girl or boy they haven't yet had the courage to actually talk to. They're not clapping for you. They're not going to remember you. Oh, they'll go home tonight and say to each other, What a lovely show that was, wasn't it? She's such a charming elderly dame. And they'll go on with their lives, and your flame will be like a candle doused by the wind. And you'll die someday. Someday soon, by the look of you. I died? I died right there on that stage. That's how I know all this. One of your pimply stagehands walked right through me earlier today. They all walk right through me when they're running lights or running wires or running lines. They walk right through me and none of them even know my name. Alright everybody, that's Act 1. Good work, I think the talent is happy happy as she ever gets anyway 20 minutes to act two thank hey, you
1: 20. 20
0: uh klaus hey klaus yeah bill you're on limewater duty
1: really why
0: the talent said she wants you to carry her lime water. and the talent gets, gets what, what the talent, the
2: talent wants. wants i know i know good boy klaus now go get that lime limewater limewater
1: hey klaus hey rita how was the Valentine's Dance?
2: I don't want to talk about it. I should have stayed home and read my book like you. You sure? I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to talk about why I don't want to talk about it.
1: Very mysterious, Klaus. You're very
2: mysterious. Yep, man of mystery, that's me. It's too bad you're the only female who can see that.
1: Just what do you mean by that?
2: Well, it's... Hey, nice try. I told you I'm not talking about it.
1: Oh, Klaus. What? You just... Always go for the mysterious ones. The ones that seem like they have some kind of dark secret. Do I? Ever since Angela Norton in the third grade. Oh Yeah. You might have a point. Really? Do you get the point?
2: Wait. What?
1: Never mind. I gotta go swap out the bulb on the second for now. Wanna come help? How many bulbs are you down to? This is the last one. I might send you out for another one during the second act.
2: If we're not already snowed under, did you see that weather report?
1: We've still got an audience out there. What 16 inches of snow between friends? So are you gonna help me with that bulb or not?
2: Believe me, Rita, I totally would, but I gotta get her queenliness, her lime water.
1: Oh, talent duty, of course. By the way, she likes your butt. What? She told me earlier. Butt wasn't the word she used. Rita, that's gross. She's old. Why would you even tell me that? To see your face turn that amazing
2: shade of beetroot. Just because she won all those awards back in the day, she thinks she can do whatever she wants. She's nothing but a washed up, old... Careful Here she comes.
3: As if it's not bad enough, I'm stuck in this one-horse town playing for drunken cattle farmers and their stunted offspring. The help is some mewling, pimple-faced boy who can't seem to count to three. You hear that, Kevin or Clinton or whatever your name is? Three drops of lime in the water this time, not four. Five is right out. How difficult can that be? Yet, at dress rehearsal this afternoon, the water you gave me clearly had four drops of lime in it.
2: Here's your water. Three drops. It's Klaus. Hmm? Klaus, not Kevin. It's not that hard.
3: As if I have the bleeding, balmy brain space to remember that distinction. Do you want this? Yes. Ah, that's the stuff. Quite distinctly, three drops of lime. Well, young man, don't stand there with your mouth gaping open.
2: Is there anything else you need?
3: Not at this time, young man, but stay handy. Okay. What are you walking like that for? I'm not a lion. I won't bite. You needn't back out of the room as if I'm some beast. In fact, come back here. Sit on the floor. Tell me a story.
2: Uh, A story?
3: Yes, a story. Like what I've been doing out on that stage for the last hour. Is it so difficult for you to entertain me for 15 minutes?
2: I don't have any material prepared.
3: Material? Who needs material? Here's a story. A young man sat on the floor with no thoughts in his head except for how he wanted to go home and read comic books. An old lady asked him for a story. Because the young man had no thoughts in his head, he couldn't come up with a story. The old lady died of boredom. The end.
2: That's not a story. That's That's
3: definitely a story. There was set up. There was a crisis. There was a resolution. That's a story.
2: Fine, here's a story. An old woman sat on a stool and made a young man sit on the floor. She emotionally abused the young man. And then emotionally abused him again. He still refused to tell her a story because his only job was to get her lime water.
0: Fifteen to curtain, people. Fifteen to curtain. Klaus, are you keeping the talent happy?
3: He most certainly is not. He is a petulant pup,
0: Klaus. Being a petulant pup is not keeping the talent happy. What does the talent get, Klaus? What the talent wants.
3: So, where's my story? You want a
2: story? Fine. A young man fell in love with a girl because the girl did a report on Emily Dickinson, and the young man had always loved Emily Dickinson, and the girl was pretty and thoughtful and quiet just like emily dickinson and the way her bangs fell across her forehead and the sunlight slanting in through the windows during the first period hurt his heart the young man got, bought the girl fifty dollars worth of chocolate in order to ask her to the valentine's dance to try to work up the courage to ask the girl out the young man asked her if she liked chocolate she said she didn't The girl went to the dance with the young man anyway. While at the dance, one of the girl's friends told the young man that the girl had only gone with him out of pity, because the girl had seen him buying the giant chocolate basket down at Aunt Dorothy's chocolate shop. Later that night, the young man caught the girl making out with one of the young man's supposed friends. The young man went home and spent the rest of the night eating chocolate and crying. You!
3: Ate chocolate by yourself and you cried hey besides i didn't say this was about you didn't punch the fellow i don't know what would be the point you wouldn't you wouldn't have to go home and eat chocolate by yourself and
2: cry you know what that's it i'm done bill find someone else to mind your talent i'm
3: I thought I saw my father's ghost. What? Two months ago, I was at a Lifetime Achievement Dinner held for myself and three other actresses. One of those great big things where there's a stage with a podium and banners that change colors and the lighting people think they're all that. Anyway... I could swear I saw my father up on the stage wearing his Cary Grant tuxedo, all in black and white. My father with his hair slipped back in those big old hound dog eyes. He was smiling at me, but he looked sad too, inexpressibly sad. The way he looked when my mother walked out on him. He had this thing he used to do that I think he only did with me. He would kiss his own palm, like when you're blowing someone a kiss, except then he would hold his palm out to me, like he was just offering me the kiss. Like you'd give someone a cake, or or like the priests used to offer the communion wafer back when I was in school. The first real part I had when I knew I had made it, as an actress, I was playing Cleopatra in St. Louis. He came to every show. He was in the middle of divorcing my mother, and he was an alcoholic at the time, and he couldn't seem to stay out of jail for more than a few days. But somehow, he made it to every show. And when I would die as Cleopatra, and I would lay there with that horrible snake crawling all over me, I could slip my eyes open and see him there, front row center, and he would quietly hold out that kiss for me. When I saw him at that awards ceremony in his Cary Grant tux with those hang-dog eyes, he offered me one more kiss. And that, young man, was the loneliest I've felt in a very, very long time.
1: Oh.
2: I suppose you expect me to be moved by that. What? I suppose you expect me to just get over the heaps of emotional abuse from before.
3: Oh, emotional abuse. You're a whole generation of doctorates in psychology. Look, I'm trying to teach you a life lesson. It's what the old are supposed to do for the young.
2: What lesson could you possibly teach me?
3: Well... Now you've made me forget. Something about noticing what's right in front of you, not letting it get away. Rita, for example. Why don't you go out with that girl? There's someone who's right in front of you.
1: Rita? I've known her
3: forever. So? What do you mean, so? What do you mean? Someone you've known forever can't have value? Someone you've known forever can't suddenly be someone you've never met? I don't know. That's my point. You don't know. You're too young to know.
2: And just when will I be old enough to know? What age is it that I'm not young anymore?
3: Look, young man, all I know is that I've seen that girl three times today, and each of those times she's been trying to get you to spend time with her. They don't do that if they don't like you. You can't just march in here and think you know everything. Fine. What do I know? I'm just a silly old woman. You, with your callow benevolence, clearly know all there is to know. That's it.
2: I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm going to help Rita fix that light.
3: Good. Marry her while you're at it. Maybe I will. And you, Floaty. What's your name?
0: You. You can see me?
3: Of course I can see you. You've been floating like a creep there in the corner this whole time, all pale and translucent.
0: It's just that most people can't.
3: Ever since seeing my father, I've noticed your kind every once in a while. Do you think it means my time is near?
0: I wouldn't know, I'm afraid.
3: What's your name?
0: Reginald Barchester Third.
3: I'm sorry to hear it. Died here, I suppose?
0: You want the tale?
3: Entertain me. Do a better job than that child.
0: Reginald Barchester Third, at your service. Disgraced second son of the 15th Earl of Happy Bottomshire, Manchester, England. I was what they called a dissolute youth. Like most of us, I ended up on the stage by bottle-bottom default. I was doing quite well for a while, had a sort of knack for it, but there was an incident where I publicly referred to old Queen Vicky as a tosser, I believe, and long story short, it was either a stay in the tower or a quick scoot on a tramp steamer across the pond. Come to the Middle West, was the cry in those days. Supposedly there were legions of ignorant yokels just yearning for a touch of class touch of culture. You'll be printing your own money, they told me. You can live like a king for twopence a day. Well, on a riverboat I got hooked in with these two chaps who called themselves the Duke and the Dolphin. That was my first mistake. Leave it to us, they said. We'll settle everything, they said. We came up with a program, monologues from all the old peasant swells, Shakespeare and Aeschylus and David Garrick and whatnot. Sword fights, betrayals, passionate love scenes, children baked into pies and served to their parents. Sensation, the kind of thing the people love. We would hit some small town, print up a lot of handbills and paste them all over, and we were usually guaranteed a goodly crowd of drunkards and miscreants and salacious youth, much like community theatre today. The dolphin would always play Lord Hamlet, said he was born to play the role. Duke took all the romantic female roles, slathering bright red lipstick all over his bearded face. I filled in where I could, adding a touch of cross-the-pond class to the proceedings. One night the dolphin came to me in a tizzy, said he was suffering food poisoning, and I would have to go on as Lord Hamlet. I knew all the great monologues, of course, what a piece of work is man, and oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I, and all that rot. So I agreed. It turned out that unbeknownst to me, some of the Dolphin's creditors had caught up with him. Through with his antics, they had given him until showtime to pay up. When the curtain went up, well, everybody knew who was in the Hamlet regalia, and the creditors were no respecters of the sanctity of the stage, came and beat me up quite thoroughly. I didn't think they meant to kill me, but they weren't particularly gentle either, and I'm still not sure how I died precisely. It may have been the toe-boot that smashed open my windpipe or the one that caved in my temple. At any rate, that's the last thing I truly remember. Um, Imogen, we're at five to places.
3: Very good.
2: Were you talking to someone?
3: Hmm? Oh, no one. I'll be along in a minute. Oh, Reginald. Hmm. He's gone. Who was I... Was I... no. All alone, I guess. I must be getting old. Best get back to the script.
1: Is she gone? Yes, coward. Good.
2: Cranky old bat. Three to places. Thank Thank you, three. Hey, Rita. I know you've got to get up to the box, and I've got to get backstage, but...
1: Yeah? Yeah? Can I ask
4: you something? Intermission is brought to you by the fine and proper gentlefolk of the Tapestry Initiative. This month's episode, Memories, was written by Ethan Bartlett and produced by Ethan Bartlett and Michael Lilienthal. It starred the voice talents of Sarah Lilienthal, Karen Bartlett, Michael Lilienthal, and Ethan Bartlett. Special thanks to Cody Harden for audio advice. Several sound effects were used from the website freesound.org under a Creative Commons Zero license. Moonlight Sonata, the third movement, was produced by Bernd Kruger, used under a Creative Commons 2.0 license. New episodes of Intermission can be found each month at tapestryradio.org or wherever fine free podcasts are sold.
2: Obscurantism and Obfuscation